So today, it is communion. I'm reminded today as we consider the cup, the cup of God's grace. When I was growing up in our little subdivision we lived in, we had a neighbor that was always needing a cup of something. And so she'd either call or sometimes just show up and she'd have like a little measuring cup. She'd say, Charlotte, uh, I need a cup of sugar or I need a cup of flour or a cup of milk or I need a couple of eggs. And it just seemed like there was always something that she needed, always needing a cup of something. Mom always gave to her. I'm not saying mom didn't complain under her breath a couple of times, but she always provided whatever she needed because she needed a cup. We need a cup. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 tells us, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. May God bless the reading of his word. God has always used cups. All throughout biblical history, God has used cups. You remember King David? He said in the 23rd Psalm, my cup runneth over. Meaning, I feel blessed to overflowing. God gives me more than I would ever need. More than I can handle. He is so good. Jesus, in his teaching, made it clear that any time you give a cup of cold water in his name, you've actually done it unto him. Meaning we should have a servant heart toward those around us. That's from Matthew chapter 10. So we know that God uses a cup for his analogies, his instruction, his examples. And even in Matthew 26, where Jesus was with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, he was about to suffer unbearable suffering, so he prayed. And he asked the Father, he said, if you would, let this cup, a cup of suffering, pass from me. But it's not about me. It's not my will. It's your will. And so Jesus, even in his last hours on earth, explained the cup. So God uses the cup, but things get special with communion and with Passover. Jesus changed the meaning of this cup. The cup that uh, he's referring to was the cup of Passover. Part of the Passover or the Seder meal was the use of a cup of wine. It was a reminder of the blood 
from the sacrifice of the lamb. You know, the blood applied to the doorpost, the lentil of the doorway, a reminder of a cross, a reminder that God would pass over those who were under his covenant, those who had committed themselves unto him and his hand. He, um, we saw that later in Christian and Jewish history, I mean, that uh, four cups were to be placed at each table setting. They were reminders of God's deliverance, of God's promises. Each cup had a special meaning of uh, blessing and protection. And so the cup symbolizes the promises of God. It was a common cup. Common that people could share, but also common in that we all needed to drink. We all needed God's protection. We all needed God's hope, God's uh, promise that I will never leave you. I will never, ever forsake you. That all of us are the same. We all have access to the promises of God. The disciples sat with Jesus. They knew these things. They'd been practicing Passover for generations in their people. And so when Jesus sat with them and said, now things change. Now Passover goes to another level. It's not just about the slaves in Egypt. It's not just about crossing the Red Sea. It's not just about Moses and the children of Israel. Now it's eternal. It is eternal. There is a hope for us. And tonight, as we take this last supper, he said, we take the bread and we break it. Do this in remembrance of me. As my body will soon be broken. Given for you, I am the bread of life. And this cup, this cup symbolizes the new covenant in my blood that I have paid for your sins. This is your hope. This is the hope that I give to you. I give it to you tonight. Take this cup and do it in remembrance of me. Where are you today? Do you have hope? A lot of people don't. People are scared. They've gone through a messy divorce. They've just lost a loved one to death. They're afraid for their job or their business. They're not sure that they'll be able to get a job with their college degree when they graduate. They're afraid that the relationship that they're in may not last. Where's your hope? Our hope is in the Lord and His plan for us. He wants us to remember Him. To remember Him. Do you forget stuff? I'm at a point in life now that sometimes I'll go from one room to the next to get something and after I get there I'm not real sure what it came in there for and if I do remember what it came in there for then I distract it have you ever been distracted you know you, you go in to take care of folding a load of laundry and as you walk in you go oh, I didn't put my shoes in the closet so you pick up your shoes and you go to the closet and you put them in there and as you do that you go look at all those extra hangers 
We need to take those back downstairs to the basement and you take them down to the basement as you do. You see a towel laying there from when you took a shower in the morning. And before you know it, you've cleaned the whole house. You know, because you forgot why you came in there for. And then if there's a squirrel outside, then I'll go, squirrel, you know? So this is what happens. We, we get distracted in life. We get distracted. And if we're not in worship, if we're not singing, if we're not taking communion, we can forget what the faith is all about. Either we just get overwhelmed by life and its busyness, or we get distracted and we need to remember. So Jesus tells us that, that this communion, and Paul reiterates it, that communion is so that we don't forget. And you might go, how on earth do we forget Jesus? I don't mean forget as in go blank. I mean forget as in priority. We got Little League. We got dance lessons. We got high school Friday night football game. We've got uh, taxes due. We've got to mow the yard because it rained twice. And, and, and it just keeps coming, something after something after something. And then your favorite TV show comes on. Then you discover Netflix or Plex or one of the other things. And you can go through marathons of TV shows. And then there's ball games. And I think people prayed so hard for Tennessee to win that it overflowed onto ETSU. And they won too. <laughs> Why? Because we get distracted in life. So we come to remember. The scripture says that communion is a series of sermons. Jesus, uh, or the Apostle Paul said of Jesus, that when you take this, you proclaim, that is, you preach, you bear testimony, you acknowledge to everyone the death of Christ. See, it is the death of Christ that saves. We like to jump to the resurrection, but it's the death that saves. It's the resurrection that gives life. His death pays for our sins, but it's the resurrection. It gives life. You've got to have both. They work in tandem together. They are very important. And so, in a moment when we take communion together as we drink from the cup, it's like a bunch of sermons at once going off. And we all look around, we see each other, and we realize, my goodness, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. He saves me. He saves you. This juice, this wine, it's a powerful symbol of his blood, his sacrifice. In 1 John chapter 2, John writes these words. He says, my little children, now he was an old man, so we're all kids. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. I'm writing it because I don't want you to sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, a defender with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the 
Big word here. Propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation means substitution. He is the substitute payment for our sins. He put Himself in our spot. Even though He owed no debt, we owed debts we cannot pay. Religion says, God, you tell me what I need to do to make you happy and pleased, and I'll get it done. Grace says, you're bankrupt, but it's okay, because I got an equity loan. I'll take care of this for you. I'll pay for your sins. You're set free. You owe nothing. You've not earned it. You can't earn it. Just enjoy it. Now, I know some of you pretty well. After 17 years, we've all gotten to know each other. Some of you are much better at giving than receiving. And if you're having a hard time, you're having a surgery or a chemo or whatever, and one of us were to say, uh, can we mow your yard for you? Can we fix up for you? No, no, I got it. I'm good. I'm good. I've already paid people to do this and that. I don't need anything. But you'd be the first one to offer to do for somebody else, but you won't accept it yourself. Let me tell you, faith doesn't work that way. Faith doesn't say, no, I'm good. I'm good. I know what God expects, and I'm pretty good at doing it. I'm better than most. It's not good enough. You don't get to be better than most. You all need grace. I need grace. We all need the grace of God. So, we're called to preach with the cup. We remember that His death paid for our sins. Every time we take it, we remember He paid for my sins. So, you now hold a cup of grace. Would you reach and take the cup before you? And we're not going to actually take it at this very moment, but I want you to hold the cup. Now for hygiene safety reasons, we've gone to this disposable cup. Uh, Usually a little cup is passed by our deacons, our servants, they pass it to us. You have this little cup. You can see the crimson color, the really deep, dark, purplish, reddish color. A reminder of blood. We hold in our hands a cup of grace. The grace, interesting word, amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Marvelous the matchless grace of Jesus. Yeah, you know the grace songs. Grace is forgiveness. With the grace of God, the gift of God, comes forgiveness. The most embarrassing, the most scandalous, whatever sin you have, it is forgiven. It is forgiven by trust and a complete giving of ourselves to the Lord. It is mercy. Mercy. We are spared from what we deserve. God has mercy. We have uh, 
provision. God provides. He gives us things that we need. He gives us gifts. He gives us uh, emotive responses, praise and worship. He gives us peace. He gives us hope. He provides whatever we need. It's called grace. And then He gives us love for God. So loved the world. He gave His only Son. And whoever believes in Him, they will not perish. They will have everlasting life. When I take communion, every time I hear a song in my head, every time. Sometimes we actually sing the song, but I always have it playing in my head when I take my sip. What can wash away my sin? Nothing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount. I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Maybe you'll hear it in your head. Communion is something that we should take. It's something we need. It's nothing we've earned. I think many of us grew up thinking, this is the sacred hour every three months and, and uh, all the wonderful, good saints of God that live immaculate lives and, and never have weak moments, they prayed and come together and we're going to celebrate the goodness of the church. Nonsense. Why would you take something you don't need? If you have cleaned up your life and been sterling in your expressions of faith, you don't need this, if it were possible to really do that. I would argue the opposite. If it's been a bad week, if it's been a struggle, if you've done some things or said some things or been some places that, that you knew better, and you look back and you go, oh, I ought to just skip tomorrow's communion. I ought to just skip. No. I think you need to be here. I think you need to reach for your cup. I think you need to say, God, I've always needed you. And today, remind me. Remind me yet once again what can wash away my sin. Powerful reminder, and we need it. You know, my grandson, Ewan, named after my dad, uh, he's allergic to peanuts. I bet some of you here probably are allergic to peanuts. And he's been taught well by his mom. I mean, anything he eats, snack, candy bar, whatever, he'll look at you and go, does it have peanuts? He knows. He knows that it could endanger his life. He's got a backpack he carries with him like most five-year-olds. In his backpack, there's an EpiPen. Just in case. Just in case something that is life-threatening is there. This EpiPen, I think he's sick in the thigh, is life-giving to him. His Papa G, it's my nickname, 
carries a little cylinder on my keychain. You know what's in it, don't you? Nitroglycerin. If my heart decides again to act up and go into attack mode, I've always got this with me and I pop it open, slide one of those pills under my tongue. Hopefully I'm saved. And in remote villages in Africa and Asia where cobras rise up and black mambas drop from trees, almost every village in the more civilized parts has somebody that keeps an antidote to that deadly poison. So if you're bitten and you are about to die, there is hope. There is hope for you. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so we remind ourselves. We remind ourselves that Jesus is a cup of grace. go back and get eaten.